0: So one of the most shaping event stories in my life in the last ten plus years um, was when uh, Katie and I moved from Baton Rouge uh, Louisiana, to to Massachusetts um, i looking back on this story it's it, it's kind of funny, and I don't think it's the, I don't see it as that big a deal now, but at the moment it was really significant and as I look back on it, I'm realizing now that God was That was one way that he was challenging me to be a, more of a person of faith, um, and that other steps of faith in the future were going to have to be much more significant than that one. But that one established for me th- this pattern of having to live a life based in faith. So I want to share with you kind of an overview of this story as we get going. So we lived in Baton Rouge. I was working at a church there. And I had, for a long time, wanted to do further schooling. And we had prayed about this, thought about this, decided that Boston would be the place. I had lived in Louisiana my entire life. And I think even at that time, Massachusetts was requiring you to, like, show a passport, maybe have a COVID test before COVID even existed, before a Louisianian could get into the state. It was a really big move. Also, it was going to cost us a lot of money. So in lots of ways, this was going to be a step of faith. Now, one thing about this, Katie was going, she was a nurse. She was going to get a job and sort of pay the way for all of this. She had an associate's degree in nursing, which if you know anything about this, an associate's is the shorter degree in nursing of the two options. And Massachusetts happens to be, oh, all right. Massachusetts happens to be one of the more competitive place, places in the medical field for getting a job. And so, again, we'd prayed about this, felt a lot of peace, a lot of leading, sense of leading. Um, but she started applying for jobs and for a long time was applying for jobs, and it was crickets. We heard nothing. And so, what, if you do, what do you do if it doesn't seem to be working out? Well, You you start coming up with alternative plans, plan Bs, right? That's the only responsible thing to do. Also, our church at the time had needed uh, notice a long time ahead of time, so the clock was ticking. We we were going somewhere. Whether it was Massachusetts or somewhere else, we had to go somewhere. So I was trying to come up with plan Bs. I even set a deadline by which God had to do something, right? (laughs) Now, this whole time, Katie had this easy faith. That it was going to be fine. Have you guys ever been around someone that you wish would just stress out a little more? (laughs) It wasn't helpful that she was like, it's it's going to be fine. Really? Okay, anyway. So Katie decided to make a trip up, cold call at the hospitals, put applications in at HR departments in person, so she flies up, we had some connect, loose connections with people who lived in the northern, northern part of the state, this obscure town we had never heard of, she stays with them. So all week she's making trips around, putting applications in HR departments. She would go in, put in her applications, they say thank you very much, she'd walk out, that was it. Okay. This obscure little town, there's a hospital she's never heard of, she decides, I'm gonna stop by there, you know, what do you, what do you have to lose, put in an application. This was like Thursday. My deadline that I had set was Friday, by the way, okay? So Thursday, she goes in, puts the application in at this hospital. They say, "Um, do do you have time to talk to somebody right now? Sure, okay, so they take her up to the floor. They have an impromptu interview. She leaves. Next day, she's at the airport, about to get on the plane, gets a call. They offer her a job. Okay, God. (laughs) I don't think this was God abiding by my deadline so much as him playing a joke on me to say, okay, you want to play that game? We can do that. There were other things in this whole move that really tested and challenged my faith. So here's another one. Um, Katie had to go up to orientation before we moved. So she goes up, has to spend a week there in orientation, flies back into town. I'm picking her up at the airport. You know those spots you have to move quick when you're picking people up because those aren't parking spots, right? So I'm like, get in the car. Come on, let's go. She's saying, no, come out. Give, greet me. She, I get out of the I'm like, come on. I get out of the car, give her a hug. She says, I'm pregnant. <laughs> that was unexpected. Not part of the plan. I, I learned, <laughs> as I look back on that scenario, about having to have a habit of faith, and it's far, far from something I've mastered. But I find that often when I kind of turn in and try to figure out solutions, I become more and more cynical, is actually my pattern. Less and less hopeful and believing more and more cynical. You know, one of the things that's really challenging to me when I think about that, those events is when I was trying to come up with plan B's, I had this gut-level knowing that I didn't need to be doing that. <laughs> that what I was actually doing was not trusting God. That I was spinning my wheels and wasting my time And what I really needed to do was just wait. The hard thing is that faith does not always look like the responsible way. How how are you going to make it happen? How are you going to live? Well, well, I don't really know, but I have faith. That sounds, it doesn't sound like a responsible person in some cases in the world's eyes, does it? it? You know, you can look at the story of Abraham today. The letter of Hebrews says about Abraham, he went out not knowing where he was going. <laughs> that sounds crazy. I just imagine someone coming along the road while Abraham has his whole life packed up in suitcases and they ask Abraham, "Where are you headed?" I I don't really know. Really? This is what we're called to live. I'm sure that you've had some experience of this challenge, the challenge of living by faith. Faith is hard to live by, to be a rule of your life. Faith. The passages that we've listened to this morning are all addressed to people of faith, in a sense, to believers It's easy for Christians to think, oh, they're calling people to faith. That must be for people who've never had faith before. For unbelievers. But actually, no. These are calling believers Will be something in here for you. To have faith. If you're not a Christian, there could still be something in here for you. But this is mainly to people of faith. These are passages that call believers into a habit of faith. Faith is not something that Christians are meant to have once to get them saved, if you will, and then live the rest of their lives by hard work with a lot of anxiety and worry. Neither is faith something squishy and sentimental, this vague sense that everything will be okay. Faith is meant to be a habit of our lives. And what do we know about habits? Habits, the best of them, do not come easy. They take effort and work. And faith is that kind of habit. It's a hard-earned trust that the God revealed in Jesus Christ will be faithful to his children, that he will be faithful. So I wanted to talk with you for a few minutes this morning about how you develop habits of faith So that faith becomes more of a reflex to the challenges of our lives rather than the developing of our own plan B's. Plan B's, whatever they are. I I want to draw out a few ways from our passages this morning that we develop habits of faith. So the first way that I see in our passages is that we are to talk to God about literally everything. We are to talk to God about literally everything. We are to live our lives as if they are an ongoing conversation with the Creator Himself. Speaking of conversation. <laughs> right. Christians have long used this phrase, Deo" as shorthand for the nature of life. Deo" means before the face of God. Our lives are lived, carried out, every second of them before the face of the Creator. He is everywhere present. We use this phrase in Christian thinking, omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times. And so we are likewise always before Him, living before His face. So that being true... Not having an ongoing conversation with God is sort of like giving God the silent treatment. If you're in the room with someone always and you're not speaking to them for long periods of time, if you're married, turn to your spouse and ask what that means. Silent treatment, it's not good. Ongoing conversation with the Creator is a way of acknowledging His presence and living in its reality. He is always present to us and we are always present to Him. So Abraham models this kind of ongoing conversation. God speaks to Abraham saying, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram pushes back on God. He says, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Now, it's funny to me. We have no idea who Eliezer of Damascus is. This is the only time in the Bible that his name is ever mentioned when Abraham uses it in conversation with God. Eliezer, though, represents Abraham's greatest fear in his entire life. Childlessness. So this name, while it doesn't mean much to us, it means everything to Abraham. What God wants from us, like Abraham gave to him, is for us to name our fears to him in great detail. To name all of them. To tell him everything that we are thinking. To live in this sort of talking to ourselves way in the face of others. in, In that we are constantly communicating with God as our Father. All the concerns and worries of our lives. Now when you talk to God, you have to make sure that you're talking to him as if you're open to hearing his response. Prayer can become this kind of stream of consciousness with no opportunity for God ever to speak into the things that we're saying. It's okay for that to happen some of the time. God can take your rants, He can, but it's not okay for that to happen all the time. God wants to respond to us, He wants to speak back. To our worries, our concerns, our anger, whatever it may be. So God responds to Abraham's concern this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. To have a habit of faith means that we are constantly living our lives before the face of God, in light of Him, in His presence. And through the person of Jesus, God essentially is starting a deep, ongoing conversation with us. This is what God is wanting to do through sending His Son Jesus into the world. To initiate a long, ongoing, deep conversation with us in the midst of all our lives. God comes to us in the form of Jesus and He promises us rewards just like God did to Abraham. Jesus says to his disciples in the passage from Luke that we just heard, Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The kingdom is the greatest possible reward that could ever be promised. It is the greatest reward that you could ever ask for, that anyone could ever ask for. It is the promise of himself and of a life of entire fullness. You can't ask for anything more than uh, the whole world renewed and you yourself renewed. So it's out of this promise of his kingdom that God invites us to live our lives before him. To complain against him. Sometimes to complain takes greater faith than saying nothing to complain, to be mad at Him or at people, to cry, whatever it is, but more than anything to be assured that He will never leave us and that He will fulfill what He said to us, what He's promised us. So to develop a habit of faith, you have to talk to God about literally everything You have to develop this habit of being in perpetual conversation with Him and living your life before Him. Another thing that you have to do is you have to get outside of yourself. Outside of yourself. My experience, and I think it's the experience of others, is that we torment ourselves with the barriers between us and the kinds of things that God would promise us. A life free from worry and anxiety? Free from enslaving habits of sin? We can only see limitations to our lives. The concrete possibilities. I couldn't see how the move was going to work out and how it was going to be provided for. And so it didn't seem like it could happen. Abraham is childless. And on top of that, he is very, very old. I love this. This is some biblical humor. There are two separate books of the New Testament, two separate authors, and they describe Abraham at this stage of his life in the same way as good as dead. (laughs) Even after Abraham's gone, he still can't catch a break. The New Testament authors all talk about him as as good as dead. Can you imagine Father Abraham in heaven? Come on, guys. I did the best I could. Here's the irony. Apart from faith in Jesus, that is really about where we all are. That phrase, as good as dead, that also applies to humans today in some way. We contemplate our fears and they turn into hopelessness, cynicism, and despair. Without faith, we all turn inward on ourselves, and instead of living before God, we live only before others and before ourselves, Enslave to others and to ourselves. God has to bring us out of ourselves so that we can actually be restored to sanity. That's why God brings Abraham outside in the story in Genesis chapter 15. Abraham, get out of your tent. You're not going to figure out the solution while you're in here in your own head. He tells Abraham, look up and number the stars if you can. That is how many children you will have. God does the same thing with us in a way. God takes us outside of ourselves and he locates us in the faithfulness of his son Jesus. This is what he does with people who have faith in him. If anyone is in Christ, the apostle Paul says, there is a new creation. Old things have gone and everything has become new. The Christian life is a life of perpetual newness. Life lived free from the oppression of our past. It can even be lived free from the uh, oppression of two seconds ago. Memories may be there from our past. Things may need to be dealt with from our past, but we're no longer enslaved to our past. New life is perpetually open to those who are willing to have faith in the Lord Jesus and in his forgiveness of your sins. The apostle Paul also said, "I've been crucified with the Messiah, and it's no longer I who live." But Jesus Himself lives in me. The life I live, I live within the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. God takes you outside of yourself and He places you within the loving faithfulness of His Son. Do you find yourself living out of that identity more so than your own failure, your own struggles? The world constantly seeks to shape us back into its own mold. All week long, we are living in the midst of the world's patterns, and it is constantly seeking to shape us into its mold, rather than into the reality of what God wishes to do with us. And so we have to be intentional to get outside of ourselves, and to live within the reality of what He has done for us. To see afresh the way of God and the way of faith in the world rather than the way of the world's constricting concrete possibilities. To develop a habit of faith, we have to learn to talk to God about literally everything. And we also have to get outside of ourselves and see ourselves in the light of what God has done in Jesus the Messiah. To see God in His power and in His love and His capacity to do much more than we can ask or imagine according to His power that's at work in us. There's one last way I want to mention that we develop a habit of faith. You must put yourself in need. You must put yourself in need. Last week in our service, we heard the world was a story about this man whose biggest problem in the world was he did not have enough space to store all his crops. That's his biggest problem. He's too, got too much money, too many crops, and so he needs to build bigger barns. He was materially wealthy and he knew it, but he was spiritually impoverished, and he had no idea. He would never have been able to accept Jesus's terms of discipleship that were to live as children of our Father, as sheep in Christ's little flock, and as servants who are constantly waiting for their master's return. He could never imagine himself living in that kind of way. No, he had everything he needed. He just needed to build more to store everything he had. Jesus tells his disciples, do not be anxious about having enough. In fact, I'm going to go a step further than that. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Is Jesus saying here that we cannot have possessions? Is that what he's saying? No. Jesus speaks this way in other places, such as when he says that you should tear your eye out or cut your hand off if they cause you to sin. Do not do that. But equally important, do not take your sin lightly. And along those lines, do not let your possessions desensitize you to your need for God. Above yourself, in Instead, you need to constantly put yourself in need of Him. If you're someone who recognizes how much you need God, if you're someone who you, you live in poverty, whether that's a sense of material poverty or spiritual poverty and weakness, you are keenly aware of your need for God. Listen, I know that that can become wearying. That constant sense of need, will I ever feel like I have enough? It can be wearying, but know that that sense of your need for God is also a gift. The goal is not a sense of self-sufficiency. And so please, see that as a gift in some way, as hard as that is. That sense that you're constantly in need of God's help. You constantly, daily need strength from His Spirit. That's a gift. If you are a person, though, you have a sense that you can almost do it on your own, be careful. You need to frequently find ways to put yourself in need of God. Get rid of things if you have to, put yourself at the disposal of others. Whatever that may look like, put yourself in need of God. Time and money. Time and money are two of the most insidious false gods. They will creep on you, creep up on you and they will deceive you. And so guard yourself against them. I want to ask you a question as we wrap this up. Why is it that faith is so important to a relationship with God? Without faith, says the writer of Hebrews, it is impossible to please God. That is a hard truth, a hard statement. You know, we often hear Jesus telling people after he heals them, your faith has saved you. We should be careful, cautious, about hearing that as an indictment against us if we have prayed prayers that seem to have gone unanswered. We know of many people who have prayed for healing for things and they've not received healing. We know the Apostle Paul prayed that a thorn would be taken from his flesh and it was never taken. So we should hear Jesus' words to people that say, your faith has saved you, but we should be careful about hearing those as an indictment against us. Neither should we hear these words as somehow needing to earn God's favor as if our faith earns us salvation. But what does Jesus mean? And why is faith so essential to a relationship with him? Faith, even the smallest seed of faith, is like a conduit between us and God, our Father. God's love and power find themselves with their hands tied, so to speak, where there's no faith. Where there's not a heart that is willing to look at Jesus, recognize Him for who He is, and ask Him with all our strength that He would intervene and change our life. When our heart is closed to God, when we try to function independently from Him, how can God save us? It's as if we are unwilling and will not allow Him. Faith, though, opens the door to where God can do miracles in our lives, where He can do things that we are not able to do for ourselves. So, do you have a habit of faith, a posture of faith toward God. Is there anything that you are not doing in your life simply because you're afraid and you're not sure if God will come through for you? Listen, if you're a Christian, the perpetual attitude of your life is dependence and faith in a God who desires to do things for you than you can absolutely not do. Dependence is not a curse. It is a gift. And again, the amazing thing is that God is so merciful, He sees even the smallest seeds of faith. So just like the rest of our lives are not perfect, even our faith does not necessarily have to be perfect. God is merciful, and He's willing to look on that small seed of faith that we have and nurture it into a strong and deep faith that is willing to take great risks and follow Him at all costs. So if you're a Christian, Are you turning toward Him in faith perpetually? Are you having this constant ongoing conversation with Him? Are you getting outside yourself to look to the heavens to see all that this God can do? And are you putting yourself in need of Him? And if you're not a Christian, this God, He is willing to receive you and heal you of all the wounds and struggles that you have in your life, to be present to you, And so will you come to this God and receive more than you could ever get for yourself. Amen.